Blog Talk Radio. Back to a Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Raven. I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today we're going to have a very interesting show. We are on location here at the Ideal Community in Jaffrey, British Columbia, just over the Montana border. It's an utterly beautiful place, and uh, we'll be broadcasting from here, both down to include Uh, my dear colleague and friend, Michael Tellinger, who will be joining us for the first part of today's show. And then we're going to be turning our attention to the founder of the Ideal Community, Natasha Kolsar, and her colleague, Gilles Aineau. And we'll be speaking about the development of community and the importance of the development of community in today's day and age, perhaps more than ever, and what it means, what its implications are for the future. This subject for the second portion will also interestingly synchronize with some of what we'll be speaking about with Michael Tellinger, my first guest. First of all, for those of you who are new to A Better World Radio, just know that we're on every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time on Blog Talk Radio. And if you're not yet part of a better world family make sure to tune in to us at www.abetterworld.tv abetterworld.tv and join us on the free weekly newsletter which announces who we will be having on the radio and the weekly TV show so with that said we're going to dive into a really interesting conversation with my dear friend and colleague, Michael Tellinger, who will, for the last leg, the very last part of his U.S. tour uh, that has been going on for approximately the last six or seven weeks across the United States, will be in New York City at the Meta Center on Wednesday, September 4th, speaking to us about his discoveries. He calls it the Slave Species Tour, so you do not want to miss this. Michael Tellinger is a world-renowned author, scientist, explorer, and I like to call him a real-life Indiana Jones, who is busy discovering uh, various aspects of our origins as a human species. I say that he has taken Zachariah Sitchin's work, 
which many of you know, and has taken it its next logical step. And he has found artifacts in South Africa which help to corroborate this story of our human origins. We'll be getting into that in just a matter of moments. As said, Michael is just finishing his tour of the United States now. Um, He's been opening to just record-sized audiences talking about this kind of material, which we'll be focusing on in just a few moments. And then, as said, stay tuned, because then we'll be on with Natasha Kolsar here at the Ideal Community, and Jill Haino, who is the musical director and vice president of this organization, which has been in existence since 1993. They have taken some very progressive steps in the development of community and really know a whole lot more about it than most people, having been so deeply involved themselves. So uh, it's a very interesting show today. I'm very glad that you're all with us. And uh, Michael Tellinger, are you there? I'm here, Amit. Can you hear me? I sure can. Michael, good to hear you. Excellent. I wasn't sure if you could uh, hear me or if I had to call in again. Okay, well, great great to see you. Oh, you're all set, Michael. You're on a better world, and as such, you're helping to create one already. So (laughs) glad to have you. Michael was on the show a few, actually, it was last, um, it was last September, almost a year ago, Michael, that we had you on talking about this. But I'd really like you to open up, if you wouldn't mind, uh, for those of our audience that didn't hear you then and haven't gone to our website to listen. Um, tell us, lay out your premise. I really want this as a kind of university on the air. You're coming from such an interesting, unique place. I'd really like our audience to get the the full tilt, so to speak, of what you have to share with us. Just take it well, from the top. Very, thanks very much, Mitchell. You know what's fascinating about what's fascinating about South Africa and Southern Africa is that um, the mainstream history and archaeology talks about Southern Africa being the cradle of humankind, and then when you ask for the physical evidence to show you the cradle of humankind of these first humans that walked the earth. Um, you get you get shown some really strange and interesting um, uh, tools and artifacts that don't really um, uh, connect us to the origins of our species, but you get shown um, uh, you get shown um, um, what, what fossils of Australopithecus and and sort of these erect walking upright walking apes. And this is what they claim to be the origins of humankind. And, and my my uh, my um, answer to that is, well, that that's not the origins of humankind. You you're jumping to conclusions here. You're assuming that humans evolved out of apes and and that kind of stuff. And and uh, and so for for a long time this has been going on. When suddenly uh, I came across um, in 2007 what has been known about for more than 500 years and probably one of the best mysteries and best kept secrets in southern africa the mysterious stone ruins of southern africa and south africa and those are uh, those turned out to be what is now i believe as you mentioned the physical evidence for much of what zachariah sitchin has written about mm-hmm. um, that we learn about in the sumerian tablets presenting the physical evidence of a vanished civilization that lived at the southern tip of Africa 
What they were doing there is mind-blowing. They were mining gold. Why this is mind-blowing? Because this happened, and this was happening as far back as 300,000 years ago. And um, so, wow. so suddenly we, we now have real evidence of Southern Africa being possibly the cradle of humankind with intelligent human beings and advanced knowledge of, of technology and the laws of nature. Not only were they mining gold, but they were using sound as a source of energy, which is something very, very uh, mysterious. And um, it, while this might not be new to people that work in the free energy industry uh, or in the areas of covering free energy, it certainly is new to those that have never heard of this before. So yeah. we're dealing with, it, with a, a vanished civilization, a vast when you say sound, Michael, are you saying that uh, the use of sound for, well, it may sound funny, running a refrigerator, for operating a home, for operating some kind of vehicle? Uh, well, all of the above, but mostly not the kind of energy or tools, domestic kind of uh, implement that we would think of today. We Once we start dealing with these ancient times, and everything changes. It's a complete paradigm shift in the way we look at, at humanity and what we were doing as a species in the early days of our of our appearance on planet Earth. Um, what the sound was used for was for the mining of gold and the, the the processing of gold. And at the same time, it was also would have also been obviously used for all the daily needs of the people that were doing all this work and the mining. But the sound that I'm referring to is sound that comes out of Mother Earth every second of every day. So it's oh. truly a free form of energy. So it's, it's yeah. a free energy source that we all have access to all the time, as long mm-hmm. as we know how to take the sound and convert it into a form of energy that we can use. And that's what these guys were doing. And the reason I say this is because we've measured it and I, can, I, I do show scientifically how these measurements were done, what, they, what we've measured, and it is astonishing and astounding because what it shows us is that we're making measurements in ancient ruined stone circles that are the, the highest sound frequency measurements ever measured on planet Earth in historic and modern history, modern times. And you are measuring this at those stone circle sites right now in South Africa. I mean, I don't mean that's this right. moment, but I mean yeah. recently. Yeah, that's what's been measured. And, you know, we're getting gigahertz of sound frequencies coming out of the stone circles. And I'm talking about more than 375 gigahertz of sound coming out of the stone circles and especially Adam's calendar, which is the sort of the flagship among, uh, among more than 10 million Stone circular structures. So when, when I say more than ten million, yeah, this is this is the big secret. This is why I said it's been one of the best kept secrets in 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 ancient well of modern times, and one of the yeah. best kept secrets uh, secrets in in all of human history. There, there truly is a vanished, a vast vanished civilization at the southern tip of Africa that we are only now starting to recognize and realize what they were up to. Let's roll, let's roll the clock back a little bit because I had a little talk about sound interference at the beginning of the show. I don't think it was from those circles, however. It was just a little local interference. You're 
saying that what you have found in South Africa, Michael, archaeologically with artifacts is corroborating the premises of Zachariah Sitchin's work. He's written numerous books. He's a biblical scholar. He's a scholar of Sumer. And his premise, that's please go into that and how what you have found corroborates it. Well, uh, thanks, because yeah, I, I sometimes forget that uh, some, sometimes people are not, not familiar with Zachariah Sitchin's exactly. work. And so not only that, we want to, sometimes I find that when people are so familiar with their own material that they will make assumptions exactly about their material that other people do not know. And so, you know, we broadcasters and interviewers have to slow down the process so we can unfold the envelope so people can hear detail by detail because what you have to share is astounding which is why we wanted you on the show and why a better world is sponsoring you you in new york in fact let's let everybody know yet again if you are anywhere in the general tri-state area of new york city connecticut new jersey pennsylvania or elsewhere believe me it's worth the trip it's for michael tellinger's our guest today's uh final night in the United States before heading back to South Africa for what has been a very successful tour of the country to talk about this kind of thing and some things, yes, folks, that will not be discussed tonight will be discussed Wednesday, September 4th for more information in New York City, that is. Uh, If you want more information, just go to www.abetterworld.tv and Click under special event, and voila, you will see all the information about how to register and how to pay for the evening. So, Michael, please pick up where we left off. Yeah, um, so Zachariah Sitchin is a scholar of the Sumerian tablets, a biblical scholar, a theologian, and uh, he's probably one of the foremost, foremost translators of Sumerian tablets. Uh, Obviously, just like uh, anyone who does anything good in their life, he has his detractors, so one needs to wade through that. Uh, But at the the end of it, Sitchin has probably done more to translating Sumerian tablets than anybody else before or since. Uh, He died two years ago, or three years ago, uh, in 2010. And um, his translations of the Sumerian tablets... Um, tell us about an ancient time on planet Earth um, that um, exp- uh, exposes us to the Anuna gods or the Anunnaki, those who came to heaven to Earth from heaven, or those who descended from heaven to Earth. And these were beings who came to Earth uh, almost 500,000 years ago, known as the Anunnaki. They came here. It seems the primordial reason for them, or the primary reason for them, was to, to to find gold. They were looking for gold, and they found gold in vast quantities. Um, and the the place that they found it in in most abundance was in southern Africa, at a place called the Abzu, that the Sumerian tablets refer to as the Abzu. And um, so the the by reverse engineering this um, statement is if we can find a vast vanished civilization of gold mining people in ancient times, that means that we we could be looking at the abzu that the Sumerian tablets um, are referring to. But to mine the gold, 
they needed help. They there weren't enough of these beings called the Anunnaki. And although they had advanced technology and knowledge of the laws of nature way beyond our uh, wildest imagination or understanding, and also physics and and um, multidimensional physics and and uh, and so forth. Um, they needed help, so they cloned a new species. And to be the slave species or the slave workers, or as the Sumerian tablets call it, the primitive worker, or the Lulu Amelu, and um, and they cloned this new being after many genetic experiments, um, so that this being would be smart enough and clever enough to follow the orders and instructions and learn how to use the tools and the technology so that they could work in the gold mines and get the gold out. And this is what transpired. And why this is exciting is because now we have the physical evidence. I'm sorry, what was that last part? Now we have the physical evidence to support all this stuff. That this, In fact, that there is a place that that is synonymous with this place called the Abzu that is connected to gold mining. All of these millions of stone circles in South Africa and Zimbabwe are connected to the mining of gold the technology that the tools and artifacts I've been collecting are of a mysterious nature that suggests that they were, they were using sound as in a laser kind, like a laser kind of te- technology um, system. And, uh, and it's all about the gold. Very interesting. So are you telling me that the beings from another planet, per Sitchin's you know, premise, came to Earth purely for this yellow gold they didn't bring uh other they didn't have other motivations for coming to this incredibly green blue gorgeous planet but just to mine gold well that's what it seems like now um there however what we need to do is keep our minds open and then be able to readjust our our uh, interpretations and our theory is based on the information that we have. Um, you know, the big yeah, question sure. is... Also, so are you saying that they then uh, did... Um, they, they, I mean, we are then considered, Michael, some form of hybrid race, I'm hybrid species, more accurately, between so, the beings that were here and the beings that arrived. Is that the premise as well? Yeah, that, that's exactly it, Mitchell. The... What the Sumerian tablets uh, and Sitchin's work tell us, tells us very clearly, and it's not just that. In fact, I've just been reading a new book called UFO Highway that describes it in great detail as well. And for people that haven't read that book, I, I highly recommend that. Obviously, my own book, Slave Species of God, gives you a, a, a very detailed description of human history and, and many of these Sumerian translations. But, but um, there's, there's yeah. more and more corroboration for this human hybrid that was cloned as a slave race is coming out and has been coming out for a long time, and we seem to be at a very, on a very rapid um, uh, point in in our human history right now, where more of this disclosure is coming out that we are indeed a slave race and a slave species created purely to be a slave race on this planet. That's wild. It's funny because I want to just uh, bring up the idea that is in circulation among many people here today on this very beautiful blue-green planet, Michael, which is that the extraterrestrials are in many ways deemed as 
friendly and amicable and seeking to assist um, earthlings at a moment of great uh, terrestrial crisis. What with climate change, what with the militarization of our planet, what with the um, the uh, uh, jeopardization of our liberties and freedoms in virtually every country to varying degrees across the planet, and in it seems like they're extending themselves out of love and friendship to us, at least other dimensionally and wanting to help us instead of enslave us. So I'm just yeah. offering that as some contrast to this much more ancient, multi-hundred-thousand-year um, uh, intent and purpose that it sounded like they may have had, according to Sitchin. Yeah. Look, what do you have also, to say about that? Oh, this is, it's very important that you bring that up, Mitchell, because you know, you see, you, when you talk about extraterrestrials, First of all, we need to establish that there are millions and millions of different extraterrestrials out there. Right? Oh, that's right. Right. A very good some, point. Yes. Some, some have – there's an infinite number of ETs out there. Some are, some are extremely highly advanced, not just in terms of technology and the understanding of the laws of nature and physics beyond our wildest dreams, but the, yes. that they're also far more highly advanced in their consciousness. And they have high-level, high-level, high-conscious beings that, that operate and exist in different dimensions, much higher dimensions than we actually understand, or yeah. most of us don't even have the ability to comprehend those kind of levels and dimensions. While, at the same time, there are other ETs out there who are of very low and base consciousness, like, like you know, they have no consciousness or emotion, the ability or the capacity to even feel empathy or, or remorse or anything like that, and yet these beings have got um, access and the ability to manipulate matter, to travel through time, and, and control and manipulate technology for their own selfish benefit, and this is what yeah. we're dealing with here. So it's this, it's this contrast between very low-level, low-consciousness beings that have got the capacity to interfere with other beings in natural evolutionary process, while you've got the other beings of very high consciousness uh, that are closer to God's source, if you want to call it that, or, or the, yeah. the divine source of all things. And this is an interesting situation that we find ourselves in. Yes. It's very, and in a sense, you could almost say that what we have on planet Earth is really... Um, kind of a microcosm of what we see in the macrocosm of the different uh, types of ETs out there. So we have different types of human beings here, some who are very advanced and are working with their entire being for the advancement and further well-being of the entire sentient race, and others who are looking to, like, set it back millions of years, you know, so uh, for their own personal aggrandizement. So, yeah, I totally understand, Michael. And, and this is why, you know, what, what has transpired over the last several thousand years, the whole enslavement of humanity through the control of religions and the disinformation that they've, you know, uh, poured upon humanity with the different religious movements and the religious groups is all lies and deception, distorting yeah. the truth just enough so they can take control over humanity. And, and let's just be very, very clear and blunt about this. 
are governments, the major, the major governments of the world that have stolen the countries from the people are under the influence of these ETs. And they're they are in cahoots with many of these ETs that have been running this world for thousands of years with malicious intent to enslave humanity, to keep humanity ignorant and keep them enslaved so that they can abuse the planet for their own personal and physical um, uh, gratification. Uh, yeah. Their ultimate outcome seems to be a, a, a drastic depopularization of the planet. Um, I'm not quite sure what the final outcome is, uh, plan of action is, but what, what is happening is very obvious, is the higher that the conscious human beings rise in consciousness, the more we rise as human beings with, with a genetic and soul combination that has unlimited possibilities. And by unlimited possibilities means that because we come from a soul, a source of our souls that come from the source of all things of the divine creator, which means that we have the capacity to create and be creators of reality um, because we are infinite fractals of the divine source. And so we seem to have a very important role to play as the human beings um, in, in, the, in the unfolding of events in, in, in creation, in all of creation. Uh, and that is being suppressed. Uh, every effort is being made to suppress that, to prevent humanity to reach our ultimate um, high levels of consciousness so that we become like God. And this is what, uh, what all the, I believe, great masters and teachers like Buddha, Christ, and Krishna, and many others have been trying to tell us. They've been trying to tell us all this, right? Yes, 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 yes. Exactly. <laughs> it's very interesting. Let's let everybody know that uh, you are listening to Mitchell Rabin on A Better World. We're on every Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time out of New York, although uh, this week we are broadcasting live out of Jaffrey, British Columbia, just over the Montana border in an utterly beautiful place with the background of the Canadian Rockies. It's fabulous. And we have on the air with us now as our first guest, Michael Tellinger, who is well known actually across this very beautiful planet uh, for his research into um, the Anunnaki, as he's describing, a, a continuance, if you will, of the work of Zechariah Sitchin, and he's been doing a lot of archaeological work down in South Africa, where he's from. He's just in the last stages of a uh, U.S. tour that he's been on for the past, oh, approximately six weeks, ending in New York with one final evening which will be Wednesday, September 4th. Please join us if you're anywhere within at least a stone throw of New York City. Go to abetterworld.tv to get the information, how to register, and how to pay for this last evening, a three-hour presentation by Michael Tellinger, as I described him wonderfully as a real-life Indiana Jones, so you really don't want to miss this. And uh, also know that uh, Michael and I both will be in Boulder, Colorado, at the Global Breakthrough Energy Movement Conference in mid-October. I believe it's 
Uh, Michael, is it October 10th, 11th, and 12th? Is that correct? Yeah, that, that's right, uh, Mitch. Um, I'll actually be coming back for that from our tour of the UK that uh, we're going to when we finish in New York. We're actually flying out to Germany, doing a big presentation in Germany, and then we're going on a, another three-week tour of the United Kingdom, after which I'm coming back to the USA, to Boulder, to uh, to do the Breakthrough Energy Movement Conference with you and the host of other amazing people like Foster Gamble, True. I think, of, for example, is just one such amazing person that's going to be there. Indeed, indeed, absolutely. I'll be giving a presentation as well and co-moderating the panels as I did when we first met Michael in the Netherlands last October with my dear friend and colleague Sasha Stone. So for any of you interested in uh, the whole idea of free energy, of ambient energy, of Tesla-style energy, hydrogen, water, elemental technologies, you could say, that might be ancient as well, for all we know. Um, do join us in Boulder. It's going to be a very special event, just as it was last year in the Netherlands. But because so many of the people are actually Americans, uh, uh, the, the sponsors of it, the founders of the movement, decided to bring it to the United States itself. So we're very pleased and honored to have that happening. And again, there's information about that on uh, the website of Better World. TV. Just click through. You'll find it listed under events and join us there again. So let's pick up where we left off, my friend. This is it's fascinating. I want to ask you this. Um, you just made a very powerful comment, and I want to – you're not only an explorer but also a scientist, and I want to get some sense, even though instinctively I may feel that you're right about that um, – not necessarily the heads of government, but the people behind the heads of government, uh, the people who you could say really seem to be calling the shots of and for government and for the top administrators of government, presidents, prime ministers, and the like, seem to have a relationship with something that's not human because what goes on on planet Earth is way too inhuman for just humans to choose it, such as endless perpetual war, a la Orwell, and human trafficking, and the promulgation of illicit drugs that keep people down and out. Oh, any number of different activities that government, you know, much to our dismay, seems to have a hand in. But I want to ask you, Michael, do you have actual evidence of that connection? Or is it just a logical inference? <laughs> well, all, all we've got to do is ask ourselves the logical inference. I thought that was kind of funny. Please go on. Yeah. yeah look, um, uh, Mitchell, the, the thing is that all we've got to do is ask ourselves, who is government, what is their job, and what are they supposed to do for humanity, and are they doing that? So let me remind your listeners the following. That's a good, yeah. We choose our leaders to be our servants, to do for us what we need as the people who elect them into power. Okay? They are supposed yeah. to be the servants of the people, not the other way around. So the moment that you hear any government talking to their people about secret files and classified information, 
clearly tells us that that is no longer the case. So something strange has happened. And, uh, and what has happened is that the global, uh, the world has been hijacked many thousands of years ago. It's, been, it's never really belonged to the people because we are the slave race. It's always belonged to those that, first of all, cloned the human race. And then as humanity became more conscious and more aware of what's going on, waking up from our infant status as a species and growing wiser and recognizing things around us, um, slowly but surely enslaving us in different ways and different forms. The, the most important way of enslaving humanity has been money. Money is the tool of enslavement. And, and remember that it's not about the money. It's about the control over humanity. So money has just yeah. been used as a tool of control so that they can keep humanity under control. And then money is the tool. And so yeah. the fact that the government... There are other tools as well, like prisons, like guns, like armaments. Oh, yeah, but, but see, all of that, all of that is directly linked to, to money. And for the people that come to my presentation, if they don't know this yet we'll start seeing the connections very clearly. You know, the, how, how we've been totally and utterly enslaved for thousands of years as uh, to mine in the gold mines, and then we're still mining minerals on this planet. We're mining more gold now than ever before, and more, more other minerals. But that's not for the benefit of, of humanity. It's for the benefit of the few that own the corporations. And who are the sure. few that own the corporations? Those, those are the people that are the guys that run and control the supply of money on our planet. So, it, you know, and if people don't understand that, let me explain to you why I can say that. It's because when the gold comes out of the ground, or whether it's platinum or diamonds or whatever it is you're talking about, that, and, the, and the companies, the mines that mine that, sell that gold, and all, that, all those minerals are bought by, in South Africa's case, and that is the same case in all other countries, by the central bank. The central bank pays for that, right? <laughs> now, mm -hmm. who is the central bank? The central bank is a private corporation. They don't have money. They've got, they've got the right to print fancy logos on pieces of paper that, that, that then the people deem to be very valuable. And this is where our stupidity causes our enslavement because we allow this to continue, yeah. right? So... Basically, the, the, the central bank in South Africa, the South African Reserve Bank, is stealing all the resources from the people because they issue these pieces of paper with their fancy logos on it, and, then, and we have to work around, run around like slaves and paying for all the stuff that the central banks are just taking from us because they've given themselves the right to create this money out of thin yeah, because yeah. they can. And, and this is how they have the governments under their control. They have, and then the, in, in turn, the governments have got their armies and the police services and all the security forces under their control. And before you know, you've got a, an absolute draconian enslavement system that most people have no idea is actually being woven around them. And this yeah. is something we need to wake up to and realize. And remember this, that only we, the people, can free ourselves from this enslavement. It is not going to be handed to us on a platter. Yes, indeed. Well, you could almost say, Michael, I've, of course, given this a lot of thought myself over the course of uh, some 20-plus years. And uh, in some ways, our enslavement is um, 
multidimensional, uh, which you're kind of indicating here, and uh, even on planet Earth multidimensional, it's almost like there's, uh, what is it called, Indira's web. There is a net, a very finely uh, woven net that is over our heads, over our bodies, and we don't even know it. We can't see it. So we don't even know that we're, in a sense, under the command of something other than ourselves and our own highest self. Do you know what I mean? Well, you know, frequency-based technology and weapons has been used against humanity for a long, long time. This is not something new. But today it is far more overt and it it is reaching excruciating uh, levels where you know frequency-based technology that that the frequencies that penetrate our houses, our homes, the Wi-Fi, the cell, cellular communication coming out of our radios and TVs, embedded in the CDs that the music industry releases, all these frequencies that ha- that have very specific effects on us that most people aren't even aware of. Mind control frequencies that can do things to people, make people do do things that they would never imagine they were capable of doing. You know, from becoming mass murderers to depression to to suicide to um, any kind of behavioral changing um, uh, effect that these frequencies can manifest in human beings. And they're doing this on a grand scale beyond our wildest imagination. So we need need to remember this and realize that basically what has happened, and this is it, you know, World War III has started. But the people against whom the war is being perpetrated are not even aware that there is a war being waged against them, against us, yes. the human beings of this planet. Yes. So, it, so my message to, to the people is to realize this, that we're in a war situation. And, and as, as long as we don't know this, we're going to be abused and we're going to lose this war. So it's for us to wake up and snap out of the days and start doing something about it. And that brings me what it is that we need to do about it. And that's part of my presentation and the conclusions that I reach as to once you start realizing who we are, where we come from, and why we are here as a species, and that we are enslaved on every possible level, and I mean by enslaved physically because we cloned as a slave race, uh, we, are, we are enslaved mentally because we're confused about all this because our DNA has been um, affected and, and uh, stunted, we're, we're enslaved emotionally because we, we just can't deal with this kind of stuff. And when, it, when we do face it, we just have no idea how to deal with it. And we're also enslaved spiritually because we're confused through religious lies and through dumbing us down and making us believe in spiritual um, events that are not so. But not only that, that our souls seem to have been trapped on this planet by, by some sort of a karmic trap that make us forget past lives, make us forget who we are while we came here, and keep coming back, reliving this weird karmic trap and enslavement for thousands, sometimes thousands of times before we realize that, that this is all just one big trap, and we need to get out of it. Yes, so indeed. Yes, indeed. What I, what I propose, one of the ways that I propose we get out of it is by removing the tools that are used against us to enslave us. And the number one tool is money. And, uh, mm. and this is what my, 
my whole philosophy of contributionism in my new book, Ubuntu Contributionism, A Blueprint for Human Prosperity, is all about how to free ourselves from this absolute and utter enslavement on every possible level. Yes, exactly. Well, you will be elaborating on that as well as other refined points of the entire premise in your um, presentation in New York as you do elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. I, what, what I do, I like to connect the dots, you know, and that's really important to take the, take the, the people on a journey of discovery, go back to the origins yeah. of human science, share the information that we have, present the physical and the scientific evidence, and draw, connect the dots, and go on this journey of discovery from 300,000 years ago and the sudden appearance of humankind, the mysterious activity of these Anuna gods or the Anunnaki, these beings that are obsessed with gold from whom we inherited our obsession for gold for all the wrong reasons, by the way, as well, because we don't use the gold the way that they use it and they have been using. And... Um, it's just a tool, one, another tool to enslave us. And then keep connecting the dots and, and arrive at today where we find out that the same royal bloodlines, which include the banking families, are the same royal bloodlines that have been running and controlling the world for thousands of years. And suddenly things are a lot simpler to understand and it's, it becomes a lot simpler to figure out what it is we need to do to release ourselves from this absolute and utter enslavement by these bloodlines that, that, that use the planet as their little playground and, and humans as disposable um, uh, inanimate objects and, and, to, and slaves. Yeah. Let's hold back on some of the rich observations and inferences you make so that our audience in New York can really relish in it in person. That's what I would like to do, Michael. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. no, look, it, we will have a sense of it from you here on A Better World Radio, but for the fuller conclusions, make sure to come in person so you can um, sharpen your swords and enter and listen and learn uh, for Michael Tellinger's uh, final evening in the United States this time. Before we go, let me ask you one final question here, if I may, which is this. What are the Nephilim? Uh, the Nephilim uh, are among just one of several titanic races uh, that, uh, that the Jewish uh, encyclopedia refers to. Uh, the Nephilim fall into the same group as the, the Anakim, the Nephilim, the Raphaim, the Gibberim, the Zamzumim, and the Emim. And these are all titanic races that lived in ancient times that all seem to be connected to the Anunnaki and uh, their activity on planet Earth. And the Nephilim specifically are referred to, for those that read the Bible, well, no, sir, from Genesis 6, um, that seem to be connected to the giants or the Anakim that come from the land of Anak uh, in the Bible. And... Uh, and these are, these are larger-than-life human-like or humanoids that are connected to the Anunnaki or these beings that came from another planet uh, to Earth in search of gold. And it's, it's possible that the Nephilim are some sort of a, um, a diluted bloodline of the original Anunnaki 
Um, so there's still a lot of speculation of exactly who the Nephilim really were. But uh-huh. uh, what's what's fascinating about this is is that the, whoever whoever wrote the, the information in the Bible or whoever wrote all that stuff down must have known exactly who the Nephilim were um, because quite a, a lot of information um, and they keep coming up in, in ancient texts, you know? Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. I mean, that was one of the subjects I remember uh, Zachariah Sitchin um, made reference to routinely. So um, yeah. I think, if I recall correctly, Michael, the translation from Hebrew is uh, fallen angels. That that's right. That, those who those who to heaven, those who fell to earth from heaven, or or variations on that theme. Exactly, exactly. It's fascinating. Well, you are a man with much great experience from exploring and thinking and looking and reading and gathering and aggregating, and uh, you know you've you've tasted life. And I, I very much appreciate everything that you're bringing to the table, um, even if some of it is contestable. And uh, I like contesting, only to be over overtaken with greater evidence. So I'm all for it. Please know that. <laughs> and, uh, that's one of the reasons I enjoy our conversation so much, because uh, there's a very healthy give and take. Um, yeah. You know, I... Uh, we live in a world where information is completely abundant and what with the Internet and all, and a lot of it really needs to be scrutinized carefully because if something is in print doesn't mean it's true. Something is on television or radio doesn't mean it's so, and we have to be extra careful about what we take and hold as true and what we don't. It has to pass through a number of different filters, both intellectual, emotional, and instinctual, I believe, Michael. And um, there's a lot that you bring forward that I think holds so much weight, and I really think it's very much worth people taking a very close look at, even if it's somewhat, um, you know, seemingly preposterous at some points. So what? Let's just look at the evidence. Well, exactly. So this is why, you know, I I, I guess I'm I'm lucky in some ways because I'm uh, one of the, I guess, maybe few researchers that works in this field um, that that actually has found real ancient tools, artifacts, and relics that can be shown to be scientifically accurate or I can substantiate my discoveries with um, scientific measurements and testing so what i can say is that we have found free energy we have more than 10 million ancient ruins circular structures in south africa and zimbabwe that are still giving us free energy every second of every day we don't have to look for it anymore that is awesome that is awesome michael tellinger i look so forward to having you in new york just in um approximately a week actually it is a week from today so this is wonderful wonderful news and uh thanks so much for joining us on a better world thank you mitchell i'll see you in new york sounds great wonderful have a good last part of your journey before you get there okay okay Okay. bye-bye bye-bye now
Michael Tellinger. Fascinating, fascinating gentleman, as you can hear from everything you just heard. Now stay tuned for our second part of the show, and that is with Natasha Kosar and Gilles know from Ideal Community, where I happen to be right now in their own backyard. Fascinating material. And know that you're listening to uh, Mitchell J. Rabin on A Better World. Our website is www.abetterworld.tv. I'm having some technical difficulties with the telephone. I hope it all works out and we don't get cut off. If you do, (laughs) you'll hear some Mozart. And know that I will be back with you shortly. But as of now, I would like to turn our attention toward the subject so important these days. With the world around us falling apart, um, and that is the subject of community and how important that is because people are finding a certain sense of emptiness, a sense of meaninglessness even, and it's so important to come together and act as brothers and sisters and support each other in humanity taking its next step toward freedom, as Michael Tellinger was speaking about, as well as fulfilling our divine mandate, you could say, to be as gods and to uh, be our highest selves. And in that light, I would like so much to introduce you to a woman who has been a guest on A Better World a number of times, Dr. Natasha Kolsar, and she's also being joined by Gilles Aineau of the Ideal Community in Jaffrey, British Columbia. This community is based uh, largely on the teachings of the Bulgarian mystic of the initiatic sciences, Omram Mikhail Ivanov. Fascinating material. Really, you could say, a continuance of the teachings of the Kabbalah and, in some certain clear ways, astrology. And yet, also under Natasha's uh, instruction and tutelage and support, Uh, She is a great teacher in her own right and an intuitive. The community has really grown since 1993, and it's the kind of community I'd really very much like to share with you all and the underlying principles of it so we can all become more enlightened by learning about how communities work, what their challenges are, and what their purpose is. So, Natasha, are you on with us? Yes, hello. Hello, welcome to A Better World again, Natasha. Thank you very much. Absolutely, absolutely. I just want to let you know that uh, the telephone on my side is beeping, so if you don't hear from me for a minute or two, be not concerned, Nikita Pa, just keep going, and I'll be back with you in a moment. But did you, if you heard my introduction, which I believe you did, I would love for you to pick up on this theme. What do you feel our audience here, Natasha, should know more about when it comes to the consideration of what community is? I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about it in general, and I'd really like to peel that away so people can get, you could say, to the core of what community is and how it's going to help lead us into our human future. Yeah, it's a very wonderful topic, very active and very appropriate for now because uh, humanity and whole planet 
we are going through some extremely important changes. That uh, is uh, enlargement of consciousness, and uh, the future will be totally different uh, if we compare it with now. So community, in reality, are uh, expression of uh, life, and uh, how is everything organized in the universe? In the universe, everything is commune. Everything is common. And in reality, e- even uh, ourselves, we are a community. If we take just our physical body, it's a huge community of billions of cells and then smaller communities are organs, then uh, uh, another kind of communities are systems that compose us. So in reality, everything, if we take planetary system, if we take solar system, if one day when we will know more about structure and functioning and uh, all methods, how the universe is working. In reality, everything is commune. The word itself expresses, it means general, one, and the word, uh, the word itself, community, it's com, it's a Latin prefix meaning with, and unity. So community is leading us to that unity that exists everywhere. Of course, in our, uh, uh, in our development, we were obliged to go through a special, uh, special phases, and uh, one of them was to individualize each human soul because we have a special gift that we received in the beginning of our evolution. That is the gift of thought. We are thinking beings, and there is a free will. So to develop our free will and to develop our intellect, which is like the instrument for our mental level for thinking, for that, we needed, during our, um, our evolution, we needed to go through a phase of individualism, to individualize human soul and become uh, very special beings, we may say even unique beings. But when we de- developed what was uh, planned, then we will return, but return by our own will uh, and by our own developed mental level. We will return to that unity and the community. It is just a form, just a way how to return to that unity. Of course, for functioning, now we have different systems in our society, but we have them also in our body. 
and I will say even in our different bodies, like uh, in our emotional body and our mental body and higher subtle bodies. But for now, we didn't yet um, studied sufficiently uh, our own structure. We don't have it in our educational system in the schools. But one day, uh, hopefully very soon, we will have first all these special matters about our own structure and how we reflect the structure in the universe. So because of that, uh, human desire, very, very deep and very unconscious uh, desire was always to live together because alone we know how weak, how dangerous, especially in the past, it was. Don't we formed already communities like tribes? We formed already communities like villages. And even big cities are the communities. But every uh, house, every home, every person are for now individualized to develop what we mentioned, but in the future it will change. So the future of humanity is not to be, uh, <laughs> it's not to be uh, like, a, like a single bird somewhere on a branch, but to be really a collective being. You know, it only makes sense, Natasha, since we are part of uh, the entire planet of biology. If you look at bees, if you look at ants, if you look at birds, wherever you look, you see flocks, you see gatherings, you see collectives. There isn't one single species that doesn't live in a collective. So why can, why should human beings be separate from that? It doesn't stand to logical, biological reasoning, right? Of course, what I mentioned, because we need it to be individualized, to become a creator by ourselves in a very special and unique way, in a very special meaning. So to become that kind of creator with our own inspiration, with our own thoughts, with our own inner potential, we needed that individualization. But it doesn't mean it will be like that forever. Right. So, you know, you could almost say it's sort of like owning something before you actually own something, even something like a house. One has an aspiration to own it and have it and call it one's own. After all, I'm a Taurus, I understand that. But having experienced it, having gone through the process of calling something one's own, one has the experience of it and it no longer has the same um, attraction. It no longer has the same magnetic pull. You, you sort of like, you've been there and you've done it, now you can move on to another level of yourself and of your relationship to the world. Does that make sense? Of course. But you see, 
that individualization will bring us to uh, develop um, a new sense, to develop a new way of communication, and it will be the communication by thought. We will not need any more the telephones. <laughs> we will not need the television because all these apparatus are inside. We just will uh, will develop them sufficiently and we will start to use them. So we can communicate with each human being, a human being in Australia, in South America, in Asia, but uh, what you mentioned uh, species of animals or bees or uh, birds, we will communicate with whole nature. We will communicate with trees. Yes. We will listen to their music. We will communicate with stars. We will communicate with planets, with the center of all planets. So our development is unlimited. Yes, indeed. go. To go there and to use this potential, we needed that individualization, that personal individual development, and we are in. Right now, we are in uh, like 100%. Of course, it developed some uh, vices, but we will correct them. (laughs) We will use them as a fertilizer. Yes. You know, it's almost, it's interesting. You know, Carl Jung, the famous psychoanalyst, psychologist, used the word individuation. He may have um, uh, come up with it in the first place. And it's almost like, and this is part of what I gather being in the ideal community here, which, of course, as you know, and Gilles knows, I come and visit as often as I can, actually, once a year or once every other year, once every couple of years. And um, there, it's almost like when one reaches the ultimate in individuation of realizing all of the parts of oneself, one comes to a transpersonal understanding that we are one with all things, And at that point, one can become sort of the way the Buddhists refer to as the bodhisattva, that you live for the sake of the all. You don't really aren't even really living for yourself. We have this idea of living for yourself, my own happiness, my own prosperity, dot, dot, dot. But it's so interesting. It's almost like a cosmic joke. When you come to the completion of that level of experience you you take a jump to another level of the uh, tree you could say another limb and you realize that you're really living for all beings because our our own individual happiness so to speak is very much predicated on other people's happiness it's it's not separate could you comment on that yes of course it's not and you see what we can Um, experience today as the little, little, extremely little possibility of community. It just, like you take uh, the smallest seed that exists and you try to uh, put it in the best soil 
and uh, we are observing how this little seed will behave and how it will develop. So we try to water it little by little, but in reality, it is not yet the tree of community, or it is not yet developed. We are just observing little germination of that little seed. Uh, Myself, I was very impressed, for example, by thoughts of Rabindranath Tagore or Lev Tolstoy, these thinkers, philosophers, musicians, they wanted to organize a common life with teachers, parents, children, uh, work together, learn together, uh, etc. So Rabindranath Tagore succeeded because the conditions were favorable for him and his friend left Tolstoy because of revolution, because of some other changes, it wasn't possible. But even today, uh, there is International University of Rabindranath Tagore, Santi Niketan, and my two daughters, they were students of that university. Oh, really? It exists in nature. It's a community, now international, so it is possible, but it is possible as little uh, as little um, sample, as little example. Yes. What we can develop. Yes. First, to develop it, we need a very strong thought. Go to the goal and bring with us uh, the members who are ready to follow this little seed and water it and take care and warm it and then to become one day probably a kind of nursery. Yes, indeed, indeed, yeah. And from that nursery we can transplant as examples to other places where the people will feel ready to uh, uh, follow and to develop the same thing. So we cannot say that today we form uh, some perfect communities. No, we are just in a very little beginning, very little experiment. The beginning, how to go toward this uh, community, it means unity with unity. Yes, indeed. I'd like to go back to the... um the image of the beehive for a moment, Natasha. Yes. Because it's such an interesting example for us. Of course, in the beehive, we have the queen bee. And all of the other bees in some level of hierarchy are in service to the needs of the entire community based on the, as far as I understand, instructions of the queen bee. Everyone has their own respective tasks work and role and when everybody does that in a harmonious way the beehive is brilliantly successful (laughs) and everybody's happy everybody is well nourished everybody is buzzing around in delight they get the nectar from the flowers every it's all very very harmonious and blissful 
But when somebody or one of the bees gets injured or something happens, then there starts to be a little bit of a disturbance in the system. But when everybody is serving the queen bee and the colony itself, everything is working beautifully. Isn't that an interesting analogy for human beings? It is, absolutely. And for the next sixth race of our development, now we represent fifth race, evolutive fifth race. But in the sixth race, a symbol, a symbol, a symbolism of the development will be the bee, will be the structure in a beehive exactly. And imagine, as you mentioned, everything, everybody is happy, everybody is nourished, everybody is working with joy, but there is incredible uh, result to share their their product yes. not imperishable. Uh, it's not uh, it's unperishable to share it That's right. with others. To share it with the others exactly. means that we are able to produce wonderful results, wonderful food, wonderful uh, uh, creative uh, deeds and share it with the others, and it will be not destroyed because the perfection of way, how we will work, how we will do the things, will keep that matter just indestructible. Exactly, and it's interesting because it's shared with the community inside, the beehive itself, but it's also shared with the rest of the world. That means other species. So when a community is um, successful, it's abundant, and as you're saying, it can be shared not only with themselves, but with all of their neighbors. Now, if you look at the original archetype, you could say, of community, even in the world, among villages, among indigenous people, etc., even in the original formation of the United States of America, there was this kind of kindred spirit, if you will, where everybody helped each other build a house, to raise a barn, to build a schoolhouse. Everyone weighed in and everybody played their own respective role. But as time has gone on, this sense of community has dwindled and it's changed shape in some ways that, well, it might not even be recognizable anymore. But you came out here with a group of your students in 1993 with tremendous inspiration. I'd like to come full circle, if you will, to the ideal community itself and what you and Jill, your, your partner here and the musical director, have helped to build and what have you observed in the building and the evolution of your own community here in Jaffrey since 1993? What have been the steps you have all gone through? Um, you see, we are a small community, a few dozens of people, between 60 and 80 people, and uh, we are from maybe 12 different countries. And the first thing is 
the harmonization on the psychic level. Mm-hmm. We have to follow the same goal. We have to be conscious of our vision, what we want, how we can uh, share our honey, how we can produce it, and how we can share with the others. For now, we cannot share our strawberries or our raspberries with the people from Australia. But what we can do already is the work, for example, on a mental level. We know from different scientists uh, presently how, for example, the work of uh, Dr. Emoto about the water. I think everybody knows about how powerful is our positive thoughts. So imagine if we multiply one positive thought a dozen times, so then we can be useful immensely on the mental level by the meditation, through the prayers, through the singing. And we are singing few times a day. There is a rehearsal every day. We have the songs for every day. So through the music, there are no frontiers for that work. So in some way, the community can be useful already, even if physically, in an economic uh, uh, meaning, we cannot send our wonderful product everywhere in the world. But our positive thoughts, our positive feelings, our love, our uh, compassion, our many other positive feelings, we can send them all the time. Exactly. We are trying. They're being broadcast constantly. Voila. So it means that in some way we try already to be as bees. We have a puppet theater uh, about the life of bees, and we represent that theater in the schools, in the national parks. We have many, many presentations, and we call it uh, uh, Honey Days. Honey Days. <laughs> oh, funny. <laughs> and it's very loud. The children just adore. The people, people adore. It's a kind of theater, but a little bit different. Yes. And the life of bees is presented in, the, in this way. But just to, to tell that uh, we are already, we can
We're all set. If she can get it. Beautiful. Well done. Yeah, we only have another uh, 24 minutes. Hello. Uh, sorry about that uh, momentary interruption. And let us bridge it with little music while we get our guest back with us. Kosar, you are back with us. Sorry for that momentary interruption, but we're back as good as ever. So please continue with uh, with that last notion you were developing. So it's just we have to be conscious that for something that will last for very, very long time, we need a very long preparation. If we want, for example, Cucumbers, you can have them in six weeks, and there is no big deal to prepare it and to 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 sow it and to to have them. But if you want a sequoia, if you want uh, a wonderful uh, uh, oak tree, of course it will not come in six weeks. Exactly. Let's turn for a moment, because your community ideal. Has, which stands, by the way, we should let people know this IDEAL is a wonderful, brilliant acronym for the Institute for the Development of Education, Art, and Leisure. Now, I don't know if any of you know what the word leisure means anymore, but it is when people have time. They have time to self-cultivate and to relax and enjoy the beauty of life, the beauty of nature, the beauty of relationship, and the beauty of community. And indeed, that happens here. But because Ideal is only 20 years old, Natasha, tell me, what kind of challenges have you been running into, and what have you observed in your own community over these years, and where are you, where are you going from here? But first, Cast your eye back, if you would, you and Gilles, to comment on what you've seen from the time you first planted the seeds. <laughs> <laughs> what we saw is growing up. <laughs> yes. And it's very green. What are some of the challenges that you find your, the community members um, dealing with and, and even struggling with? Um. Of course, we are human beings. We cannot change our nature, our temper in two weeks, you know. So inwardly, we have a constant work to improve the things, to understand better, to use new methods, how to, uh, how to behave, uh, how to be useful for others. And that's a constant, constant work. I will say during the day and during the night and all the time. But uh, in that constant work, we have incredible number, first, of activities 
and we have a lot of talented people. We have a lot of uh, creative people. So uh, Institute for Development in Education, Art and Leisure, it means uh, like three principal composers of human life, of human being, how we educate ourselves, how we transmit the knowledge, but not the knowledge as uh, instruction, the knowledge as example, the knowledge that we experience ourselves. And when we experience the knowledge, it becomes a kind of wisdom. So how to be a model, how to be an example, that's our first learning, first lesson. It's a main lesson of every day, how to become an example for future generations, for surrounding people, for uh, uh, we are members in the United Nations, how to behave with some other people, how to spread out this knowledge. So that's educare. It means transmit the knowledge, but there is a little part, information, instruction, but the majority of that is by example. That's the best education. Then art, we are artistic being. It means creative being. We are not just artists when we take a brush and we are doing a painting or when we are doing a silk, uh, a silk painting. Silk screen. Pardon me? Like a silk screen. Yeah, like a painting on the silk. Uh, we are not uh, um, uh, artists just because we are doing the drawing for a new house. We are a constant, constant artist in ourselves because we need to express the beauty of our soul, the beauty what we remember of our passage through the different uh, dimensions in the universe. Everything is inside, and we need to express it. So uh, art is, of course, music, because we are built on a musical laws. We have organs. Yes. So the music is one part, but as a human being, we are all artists. Of yes, indeed. Uh, of course, on different levels. Then, le uh, leisure, it means to change the activity and to uh, uh, take a rela uh, to relax in one part of our brain and to concentrate in a, on another center, to use another potential to be, uh, to be um, effective, to be more and more creative, to be more and more uh, as a bee, you see? Yes. Produce something uh, that is very, very uh, sustainable for a long time. So uh, leisure in reality is <laughs> relaxation of some uh, brain centers and activation of others because of change of activities. You take, for example, a few hours in a garden. Then uh, the afternoon, 
you have an activity, uh, make a bread. Then a little bit later, you have a choir. So in reality, for the cells who worked in the garden, to sing, it's a leisure. Yes, indeed. Because they listen to that harmony, to that, uh, and then participate maybe differently. But uh, to take the body as a whole, as a unity, and this unity has to participate in all creative work constantly. Yes, indeed. Let's take a look. I'd like to bring Gilles on for a moment and ask the question, Gilles, are you there? Yes, I'm there. I, you're the musical director. You've been watching this community from its inception. You've been part of its creation alongside Natasha. And a role that you've been playing from the beginning is musical director. A person's being, you could say, is reflected in their ability to make music and their ability to listen to you, the conductor, to listen to themselves, the development of their ear, is all in some way a reflection of their own sense of maturity. From this point of view, what have you seen going on in the community? I don't know if the term maturity, uh, what exactly you mean when you say that, because generally speaking, everybody can sing. Everybody can sing. I've seen people that have never sung in their lives join our choir. They, they pronounce the words in Bulgarian because most of our songs, a lot of them anyways, are in Bulgarian. And they learn the pronunciation, they listen, they're able to jump in, and they catch the thing. Now, other people are maybe a little more shy or maybe they'll, they'll take their time in participating. But I can tell you uh, I've seen miracles in people participating in choir singing because there's such an uh, – uh, it's sort of an expansion of consciousness in freedom because nobody judges anybody. There's no soloist in there. Well, of course, we have few soloists because we have professional singers, a few of them anyways. But most of them are people just like you and me that have never had a career as singers. I mean, I I worked and I learned as a musician, but not as a singer. But through uh, choral singing, I discovered that my musicianship was developing much more in a broader vision, and it brought me so much more, I'd say, satisfaction and joy because of the sense of creative force generated by a group instead of being all on my own as a pianist playing on a stage, which is, for me, was a torture, because it's very difficult to be a soloist on stage. Yes. When you're with a choir, you become so much more powerful because of the help of others and because of the consistence of a group. And this magic of being together has been experienced by everybody, and I can tell you something, this group is still working together probably because of the work we've been doing, singing, giving concerts to the public. It's such a challenge, but at the same time, it's so rewarding that it's keeping us together. And I'm not, I'm not saying that's the only thing. I'm just telling you At all. it's a very, very efficient and powerful tool to bring people together in a dynamic and a creative way. 
it's different. There, I don't see anything else except in sports, but, you know, uh, groups in sports mostly will have opponents. And it's another type of uh, thriving, I'd say. And I'm not against it. I'm just saying that music is creative and, it, and it's a product that everybody can enjoy, even those who don't sing. And uh, sports is another, it's another leisure, form of leisure, I'd say, and it's very good. And it develops the willpower, but singing develops the heart, the willpower, and the mind. And it develops concentration. It develops, a, would say, a lateral uh, listening capacity, capability, which means that you have to listen to your neighbor if you're going to sing properly, and the other one has to do the same. So there's magic in that form of art. I, I would agree completely. I'd like to say that... Um there is a cohesive, as I said earlier, uh, force in music and, and making music as a group, like it, in your choir. And uh, it, I think it has played a very important role in helping to kind of uh, create a unity in the community here. And I know that just to report my personal experience of your community, uh, the singing that takes place every morning, essentially as a spiritual practice, uh, creates such a, a height of inner experience and such beauty that I think people become so highly motivated to be in service to this form of beauty creation that there's an unspeakable nonverbal bond that is developed sort of like when people spend a lot of time together we know that biochemically they form oxytocin oxytocin is released into the bloodstream it's a hormone it's known as the love hormone or the bond hormone and i think singing helps to develop that i i feel that i see this happening right here in this community and it's beautiful to behold uh there are other you know chemicals that get released including endorphins from the process of singing the ancient Indians, the yogis, have other descriptions of different kinds of nectar that get released when the throat chakra is open for an extended period of time, which is why some people like to listen to themselves speak and will speak about anything, whether it's meaningful or not, just to get that subtle rush. Now, that I don't think is a good use of the voice at all. I think Natasha has something to add about that. Oh, I would love to hear that. Yeah, I would like just to mention that uh, that invisible golden thread, invisible bond, less, sen less sensitive and less uh, audible as music, is a philosophy, is a spiritual uh, initiatic science, what brought to us our instructor, the master Omram Mikhail Ivanhoe, because uh, there is unbelievable 
number of explanations of everything that exists. There is Kabbalah, there is astrology, magic, alchemy, uh, the seed, the rose, the tree. Uh, it's unbelievable um, amount of knowledge. But what is for us the most important, not just to use these methods in our work, but he brought how to transform, how to help to become for all of us the beings what we were originally, uh, mm-hmm. peaceful, full of love, and full of harmony, and to... Uh, uh, we have to start this work with prenatal education. So the most important work for us now is the work with the future couples, the work with future mothers, with future parents, and the prenatal education is something that is like a, a leading line, a powerful line of preparation of new ingredients, and when we will have enough of all ingredients, then we can form a new family. The future mothers will give birth to the children full of peace. Imagine no more war, no more violence, no more aggressivity, because the thoughts of mother are the most powerful in the world and first the thoughts, and second the love. Of course, with the, with the father, but both together, they will form a new reservoir of pure, wonderful, harmonious energies. And from that reservoir, the children will be nourished, and that can change all that... Everything. Now. Everything. Exactly. I'm so glad that you brought this up, Natasha. Even in our closing minutes, it's so important, and it also expresses such an important part of the ideal community, um, not only in its current actions. After all, you have a a handful of osteopaths and maternity health care practitioners here that are very much advancing the activity of the prenatal care development that you have in mind as a community, but it also exemplifies this kind of long-term perspective that you and your main teacher and your community has in general about its role on planet Earth to be of service generationally that You don't think about just one life at all, but hundreds of lives downstream. And that's being in service in such a profound way. It's beautiful to just hear you speak about it because it really opens up the mind to realize that we have to think long term when we want to think of the kinds of profound changes we would really like to see on the planet and the restoration of our, as you were saying, original selves, which are peaceful, harmonious, creative, I like to think of as uh, both cosmic and comic 
humorous, humorful people that are full of love and looking to cooperate with each other to create a harmonious existence. And I feel that that is very much the archetype that ideal is imprinting on the collective consciousness. Would you, I, we only have another couple of moments, but would you like to comment on that? Yes, just to mention that some of these elements are not really new. Uh, we have uh, some movies about Indian epics. Yes. For example, Ramayana, Mahabharata. And in Mahabharata, there is a, a, a wise man uh, who uh, assisted the king. Was his name Omram? No. <laughs> His name is Vidur. <laughs> Vidur, and Vidur uh, always reminded uh, the king, please, if we do that way, think, please, what will be the result, what will be the influence on the future generations. Indeed, indeed. That's beautiful. That's a, a wonderful place to complete this one of our many interviews and God knows there will be many more because the transmission and the broadcasting of the uh, ideas and the values that ideal represents that you continue to lead out in the true sense of the word education of your uh, of your ideal members is just of great value to the rest of the world. And I want to thank you, Natasha Kolsar, and Jill, I know, for being guests today and sharing with us so many precious, important, and discerning ideas that you can really help the rest of the world grow from. So uh, thank you again. Thank you very much. Thank you. You're so welcome. And we'll have you back again, as you know. This is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World. Thanks so much for joining us. Remember to visit us at our website at www.abetterworld.tv. In fact, Natasha or Gilles, if you're there, please give us your website. I'm meant to ask for it. It's, it's uh, www.idealsociety.org. Ideal Society in low case in one word. Dot org. Okay, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. So all of you listening, make sure to go and visit that website because, oh my word, you will find also CDs of the Vera Choir that Jill has conducted. The music is awesome. It will bring you to heaven in itself. And then you have to carry through the uh, intelligence of heaven after you listen. And uh, you'll get a lot. There are books. There's a lot of rich material on that website. Uh, in closing, remind yes, Wednesday, September 4th in New York City, Michael Tellinger, our uh, evening's first guest, will be there for a three-hour presentation on his material as a scientist, explorer, author, teacher, and it will be a really interesting evening. He just touched on some of the facets of the presentation. And uh, go to www.abetterworld.tv in order to both register and pay for the evening. We have limited space, so make sure you get on early. And also, 
join us at the Global Breakthrough Energy Movement Conference in Boulder, October 9th, 10th, I mean, through 12th, 10th, 11th, and 12th, also information on the very same website. I so appreciate your joining us here at A Better World every Wednesday, as well as welcome to newcomers listening. Please spread the word, forward these links, include your friends and family in this kind of presentation so all can benefit. Thanks for joining us, and we're closing with a touch of Mozart. Thanks again for joining us.